Greetings, I am Tharg. I bring you a galactic new comic, 2000 AD, with adventures from the future, including the new invincible Dan Dare. Also a genuine Thargian space spinner, free. Get 2000 AD now. I had killed a man. A man who looked like me. Hello comic fans, you're listening to the Comic Songcast. I'm Ben. And I'm George. And we're here to talk to you about 2000 AD. Galaxy's greatest comic. <laughs> 2000 AD is pretty awesome. But we should start with, uh, what is 2000 AD? Well, 2000 AD is pretty much Britain's premier comic book since the 1970s. It's an anthology science fiction series, which has got some of the, which has premiered pretty much every major piece of British talent of all time in its pages yeah i mean uh, so start with that like list off some of the names of people that have gone through 2080 before going to do uh bigger things elsewhere we've had brian bolland of the killing joke fame steve dylan garth ennis of preacher fame we've had neil gaiman jock mark miller alan moore grant morrison and brian talbot as some of the biggest names that have come yeah. out of it um i think you also had on your list uh Dan Abner, who was uh, has written some Warhammer novels, but also the thing that people might know more recently is that he was the writer of the Guardians of the Galaxy series for a long time. Yeah, and, the and one that the film was most, ba- most yeah. recently based off. Yeah, yeah, and like most of the Marvel cosmic stuff leading up to that, which like I doubt even he expected people would know what Guardians of the Galaxy ever was. Yeah, not least to become a film. <laughs> yeah, and become like a huge film that a lot of people are saying is like their favourite of the like favourite of the Marvel films or favourite comic book film or Yeah, like, of course. And well not to say that we can gonna completely say it was two thousand AD's fault, but we are gonna say that it did help boost these all these people into their careers at comic books. Yes. Yeah. It's definitely seen as the uh the starting point for talent and before they go off to work in America and for other bigger companies. Yeah, I mean, Marvel and DC, certainly in the 80s uh, and the like, the British invasion period seemed to just be cropping from 2000 AD. Yeah, writers. it was. Yeah, that was definitely, definitely the case. It was these, these writers, they maybe did two or three years at 2000 AD from the beginning. So it started in 1977. Yeah. By about 1984, most of these people were in America by that time. Yeah, writing all the yeah writing there. So uh, the start of uh, 2008, you were telling me before, was uh, was basically just to jump on a sci-fi bandwagon. Yeah, the um, yeah the head of IPC uh, magazines, the uh, company that first started 2008, the uh, head of him was basically reading a copy of the uh, Evening Standard and saw that lots of brand new films brand new science fiction films were coming out in the late 70s and he said well we need to jump on this and make a comic book out of it yeah just just like well i bet that star wars is going to be a big deal yeah we should we should make some money off that yeah and you can (laughs) definitely see that in a lot of the uh first issues seeing as how the uh 2080 was launched in february 1977 so a couple of months before star wars came out but once star wars came out you can see they had all posters in the background of star wars they had star wars competitions they had but basically, they 
pretty much design influenced by Star Wars in quite a lot of what they did. Which is, which is funny because the like the stuff that stands out from 2008 like over time is definitely not space opera Star Wars. No, stuff. in fact, they had space opera inspired stuff in Dan Dare, which is what yeah. they tried to boost. Um, tried to sell 2000 AD on and that was a previous character who'd existed prior to this who uh, IPC magazines owned but Dan Dare didn't last very long he uh, people weren't interested in him and he, they're interested in all the anti-authoritarian characters they had going on in 2000 AD as opposed to Dan Dare so he only lasted four years in the comic book so before he got <laughs> moved on to somewhere else which was pretty pretty terrible for what they wanted to boost the comic book yeah, I mean, in the first place. All of the big names that, that 2080 is known for are all pretty like dark, post-apocalyptic futures uh, that the just like, and and always with like a, a like a black sense of humour as well. I mean, yeah, and that that just didn't come through with Dan Dare. It was far too space age and yeah. you know, they were, they were just rehashing a character from the 50s and 60s basically and just didn't work. Yeah, he's like a, a Flash Gordon of comics type yeah. character. Although at this point, most people are familiar with Flash Gordon from the 80s movie rather than the yeah, rather like than his, 30s and yeah, 40s serials. film serials, yeah, which, which are what inspired Star Wars itself. Yeah, so, so it's, we're getting oddly cyclical here. Yeah, it, 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 all, it all folds back on itself, which is... Uh, but yeah, the, so the big characters from 2080, the, the one that I think... Everybody will know is Judge Dredd, yeah. who we're not going to talk about a lot today because we're going to focus on him for an entire different episode because we've got a lot to say about yeah, him. Yeah, because unlike most of the 2080 characters, he is pretty much, well, he was pretty much there from the beginning. By beginning, I mean second issue. Yeah. And he's got a pretty much unbroken 35-year, 37-year history, in fact, which is not some, so much we can say about the other characters who have been a bit on and off and... Yeah, been bit on and off, and because it's an anthology comic book, you can replace these characters and bring new ones in. So that means, yeah, yeah, and and to my knowledge, Judge Dredd is the only one that really like can support his own comic outside of 2000 AD as well. That uh, that's IDW, right? The Judge. Yeah, Dredd well, there's comic. there's the IDW comic book, and they've also and for about 20 years they've been doing uh, the Judge Dredd magazine, which yeah. is its own separate uh, monthly book. Which only does Judge Dredd books and Judge Anderson books and Mega City One based books, and yeah, no, no other 2080 story can really support support these kind of uh, its own comic book. Although saying that, Rogue Trooper has got his own IDW series now, and several of the stories within 2000 AD have been republished in an American style single issue format. Yeah, but I, I mean, again, Judge Dredd has. Two movies, which yeah, two movies and so much more history. So yeah, we'll definitely leave that for the next <laughs> next time's episode. Yeah, because but but since you mentioned Rogue Trooper, let's talk about like who Rogue Trooper is. Like, well, let's uh, strap yourselves in here. Rogue <laughs> Trooper is a six foot tall blue soldier with a mohawk. Yeah, from the future, uh, he's a genetic gene- genetic infantryman. Sorry, I'll say that right. Uh, which basically means that he is a clone and he can survive all types of poison and all sorts of atmospheric disturbances and he's basically the ultimate soldier. Yeah, but not in a Captain America sense. Yeah, not in a Captain America sense. In, in a more much of a, more punisher sense. Yeah, and and what's also kind of the most exciting thing about Rogue Trooper is that he, they, him and the other genetic infantrymen have 
these things called biochips stuck in the back of their heads, which means that if they're killed in action, these chips can be removed, and it keeps all their memories and all their training. And because they're clones, they can just be cloned into an adult body without having to learn all this training again. Yeah. Which basically serves as the entire plot for the comic book. The plot of Rogue Trooper takes place in the future on a planet called New Earth, spelled N-U-Earth, because it's 2000 AD, and if you called it New Earth, it would be silly. Yeah, that's lame, but but New Earth with the with a U, is, that's, that's awesome. Cool. And um, basically, humanity moved there after destroying the original Earth and, you know, polluting it and having wars and stuff. And they moved there and essentially things didn't get on well. And humanity split up into two factions, the Noughts and the Southers. The Southers being the heroes of the book and the Noughts being the villains. The Noughts are basically Germans, Russians, all, you know, the classic villains of history. <laughs> and the Southers are... You know, you're British, you're Americans, you're, uh, you're um, Australians, those that kind of type of people. And essentially, this war consumes the planet. They basically, they start out, you know, regular fighting, but then it escalates, and they end up destroying the planet, essentially. They destroy the atmosphere, they pollute it with chemicals, they nuke it, they, yeah, they, they drastically alter the landscape, so that all the fighting that happens with the infantrymen has to happen in suits, in, uh, like, hazard suits, and essentially, the genetic infantrymen were the answer to this. So they're bred to survive in the in the atmosphere without having to wear suits, which basically makes them more manoeuvrable, uh, stronger, faster, without having to wear the suits. And and the plot from this point is that the uh, genetic infantrymen are sent on a mission to destroy a Nort Nort command center, and they are they are sold out by a traitor in the South Command, and they're all killed, except for Rogue. Except for Rogue, who, uh, in this point in the story, his squad has all been killed, and they uh, they occupy his gun, his helmet, and his bag, and they have oddly ironic names before they go into each uh, each, <laughs> each object. So the guy that goes in the gun is called Gunner. Of course. The guy that goes in his helmet is called Helm, and the guy that goes in his bag is called Bagman. <laughs> Which means they were pretty much asking for this to happen. That that or he's just like, oh well, my squad are dead. Well, I've got to put them in fitting places afterwards. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm not gonna put I'm not gonna put Gunner in my helmet when I've got a mate called Helm. Yeah, and that's, that's just silly. Just, that is silly. And <laughs> essentially, from that point on, the first two volumes of the uh, of the Rogue Trooper story are Rogue and his squad going after the Traitor General. They've got to to be first. They spend most of the first volume trying to figure out who it is and then they go on a basically a killing spree trying to find him so it's basically a revenge story but also an anti-war story yeah uh, and that's like the case with a lot of 2080 stuff there's a lot of uh like not that you can't just enjoy it on being good storytelling but there's a lot of kind of political messages of uh like like judge dread is very anti-authoritarian yeah and um despite him being the authoritarian yeah, like and, and yeah, and Rogue Trooper is very anti-war, despite being a pretty kick-ass war story. Yeah, and it's you know he's a crazy awesome soldier. Yet you're not supposed to really root for the war because it's basically consumed the planet. And it was you know the story itself is all it's all about like Cold War, you know the threat of nuclear war and that kind of and, stuff. Yeah, and just the scale of destruction that you like see around them. Yeah, and it's pretty much shown. And there's lots of things where it's. Uh, there's areas that aren't touched by the war, and then they get this. They get end up getting destroyed by chemicals, and so there's definitely this anti-war 
idea behind it. The short version of that is basically Rogue, Tro- Rogue Trooper is like a badass super soldier whose squad mates are his equipment seeking revenge. It's yeah, and it gets after the first two volumes, it gets a little bit weirder and a little bit <laughs> hard to follow. And by and basically by the fourth volume, the continuity of the story is pretty much destroyed. <laughs> by um. Well, there was a spin-off Rogue Trooper story, which happened in uh, a separate New Earth on the other side of the galaxy, and it, there was something along the lines of there was a secret company that was running both wars, and it very really confusing. And, this, and the final volume of Rogue Trooper has a massive article at the back trying to explain it all. <laughs> and yeah, and so I would definitely recommend you pick up Rogue Trooper. It comes in some, um, like most, most 2080s stuff, it comes in big volumes that basically have um, a year's worth of issues in it. And there's only four of those for Rogue Trooper, but the first two are definitely worth reading. Yeah. And uh, there's also the Rogue Trooper video game, which I don't remember being very good, but entertaining. Well, I would I would disagree with that. I think it's <laughs> I think it's very entertaining. It's definitely... I think it was entertaining. I just don't think it was that good. Well, yeah, it, well, it, it had... Uh, it was quite an influ- influential game, actually. It, it was the... Um, it has the cover system, which was basically the basis for Gears of War. All of yeah. Gears of War. So it had the... Um, you know, the snap-on cover and the blind firing. And it had, um, you could use Gunner as a turret. You could just leave him and he could shoot people for you. That was a really cool mechanic. The stuff that you could do with your, like, squad mate equipment. Is... Yeah. Yeah, you could get Bagman to make, uh, make your ammunition and stuff. Yeah, it was good. Oh, and uh, another thing to point out about Rogue Trooper, it was a creation of Dave Gibbons as well, of Watchmen fame. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> more recently, uh, Kingsman, the Secret Service. Yeah, Kingsman, Secret Service. <laughs> so if you're into Dave <laughs> Gibbons, an upcoming movie. Yeah, and uh, Road Trooper also served as the uh, inspiration for a uh, Kurt Russell film called Soldier, which is really crap. But that takes <laughs> place on a uh, on a planet that basically is New Earth, instead of like a rubbish planet. And yeah, yeah, and that was the and originally that was supposed to intend to be a Rogue Trooper film, but I think the rights fell through. Or it seems. Weird that there hasn't been a Rogue Trooper film. Yeah, it's it is weird. Uh, I've been to uh, conventions and they've uh, mentioned that Sam Worthington recently bought the rights to it. Which, okay. Which I could see him doing a fine job as yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, Sam Worthington do a fine job because Rogue doesn't really have much of a character. I think that's yeah. that's something they point out with the um the cloning process. He's he's the one that's kind of like the blank slate and hasn't really developed the personality. I mean, I guess thing. the thing is that. Like 2008, don't have the money to produce it themselves, and the license isn't enough of a cachet to draw in a load of fans for it to be worth it for a movie studio. So, although that's a story that you could really easily make into a great action movie, yeah, and it's hard to find the the reason to do it like that to make the money out of it. A lot of action movies these days have gone like huge, big budget, but I think. Dread shows that you can yeah do you, can, really you can do it quite easily and you could do a, you could on a lower budget yeah and you could film Rogue Trooper pretty easily in like a desert or whatever because that's because yep. that's pretty much uh, um yeah because it's because that's what the uh, environment of New Earth is like it's uh it's a, you know it's barren it's horrendous it's deadly you could pretty much do that with a desert and some smoke and some smoke uh, yeah. smoke machines yeah and uh, wait just just need explosions and. And gunfire. And gunfire, yeah. And there's plenty of other stuff which would be fun as well. Like there's um there's plenty of um issues where Rogue goes and explores the old 
what oh what New Earth was like prior to the war, and there's fun you could do fun like museum things. Yeah, which are buried, there's a there's definitely an issue where he goes into a museum that's buried underground, and that would be fun to do. Just yeah, just just, just have a little moment of like him finding uh like what the world was like, which obviously we're familiar with, but getting like hammering home the point of like oh shit everything is this fucked up yeah and that this all seems amazing to him yeah and yeah and basically that would even further like uh talk about the anti-war themes of books which would be which basically what the entire story is about yeah as well as you know don't be you know, don't be horrible to blue people <laughs> <laughs> and no matter what planet you're on germans are evil yeah i mean that that's true throughout all media i mean look yeah. at, look at the killzone games yeah <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> just no no matter what happens, don't trust the Germans. Yeah, or, or else you you'll end up in an alternate version of the sixties where they have weird alien technology huh. uh, and something 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 Wolfenstein. Yeah, and it'd be a great thing to uh you know show off some good practical effects because quite a lot of the times how a Rogue dispatches people in a book is he just chops open their costumes and they kind of melt yep. with like melt with all the chemicals in the air and stuff and there's lake sort of acid and it's a lot of Nasty ways you could take people out, but there's that's, there's a lot to sell an action movie on in this sort of world. So hopefully we'll get to see it one day. I definitely yeah. think if there's a, if there's a book other than Judge Dredd that will be adapted into a into a, a film, it's definitely Road Trooper has got the most potential. Yeah, the next thing we should talk about is Strontium Dog. Which yeah, Strontium Dog. The uh, I'd say it was the um, behind Judge Dredd is the most recognizable or the most famous 2008 AD character. Especially if you watch Spaced, uh, there's a lot of references yes, to Strontium Dog in there. Yes, there are lots of references, there. but uh, I don't... Yeah, I think he's probably more recognisable than, than Rogue Trooper. Well, he's definitely he's been in a lot more than Rogue Trooper. Yeah. Rogue Trooper's pretty sporadic in how he's published in 2008. Strontium Dog's definitely more consistent. Yeah, he was Yeah, he was pretty much in every issue up until the ninth. I think it was the late 80s or early 90s when he was killed off. Yeah. But he's recently come back, which is against the rules of 2000 AD, basically, but but I think it was worth it in this case. <laughs> so should we talk about Strontium Dog then? Yeah, I mean, the gist of it is that it's like a Western-style bounty hunter, except that it's sci-fi. Yeah, except for, yeah, and and he's British as well, yeah. which is something that always shocks people who read it, that his guy, uh, Johnny Alpha, the main character, uh, he is a, he's a bounty hunter, but he's from Milton Keynes, which is probably the yeah. most, least butch place in the world. <laughs> um, yeah, and basically the story of Strontium Dog is a bit, like a more hard-edged version of um, the X-Men, basically, about mutants and humans getting yes. along and, you know, some people are weird, get over it. And it's... Uh, Strontium Dog's the same universe as Judge Yeah, Red. they're all... All, all 2008 is connected. Yeah. It's just uh, they haven't shown the connections yet. Yes. Because um, essentially Strontium Dog starts when there's a nuclear war in 2150, yeah. which, you know, if this, this is the same world as Judge Dredd, there's been enough nuclear war on earth at the moment <laughs> and essentially that destroys half of that destroys 70 percent of britain and from the nuclear war strontium 90 this is the uh where we get the name from um basically soaks the population of britain and so half of them become mutants we're not talking about mutants with a uh, laser vision or claws or whatever we're talking about like really messed up mutants more, with their, more like the ghouls in fallout but yeah where they're like faces they grow an extra head or they've got like toes on their chest and that sort of idea and essentially mutants 
have all been pushed into ghettos and they don't can't they don't really have any job opportunities except for becoming a bounty hunter. So they really have to so they have to um join the search and uh, search and destroy agency, which is um which uh, they all get these um, badges that say SD yeah. on them, and that's where they get the name Strontium Dogs because only mutants do it. And Johnny Alpha is one of these mutants. He was one of the more normal-looking mutants. Yeah, he, he kind of looks a bit like Clive Owen, but uh, <laughs> yes, he does. but he's got white eyes that can sort of shoot lasers out of them. They sh- they shoot um they can radiate uh, they can radiate things, so yeah. he can sort of see through walls, but he can also heat objects up, which. It's- it's kind of like a much less overpowered version of Superman's heat vision. Yeah, but it comes in handy quite a few times. I think yeah. in one of the uh, 2080 annuals, Strong Team Dog, um, sorry, Johnny Alpha even, heats up a uh, heats up a gun behind one of his enemies and makes it explode. So it's sort of yeah. so it's sort of quite a passive power. It's not really something you can use in a fight that easily. But yeah, it. And he's uh, Johnny Alpha. He's got his partner, who is a uh, Wolf Sternhammer, who's basically a giant Viking bloke with a hammer, <laughs> and he's pretty awesome as well. And they basically go around uh, collecting bounties, and that's sort of their job. First volume's a little bit weird, I will admit. He um, they go back in time and go and uh, try and collect a bounty on Hitler, which they're actually successful on doing. That's <laughs> kind of weird. But but it doesn't have a lot of effect on the rest of the well. Well, that's this is how they got around yeah. it. Um, Apparently, uh, uh, Hitler had a uh, an impersonator who shoots himself in the bunker as uh, Johnny Alpha and Wolf uh, steal the real Hitler. So <laughs> history is not changed by the actions here, which is kind of I just, totally forgot that's how that works. Yeah, yeah. it's it's yeah. Uh, and other than that, they've got some pretty cool. They've got some pretty cool uh, um, gadgets. The most coolest one I think is uh, time displacement grenades, which essentially are grenades that. Send people. Um, they stop. Ty- they basically teleport people. Yeah. So like two hours into the future or whatever. But when they they're, when they use it on Earth, they throw a grenade at someone and they explode. They don't get they don't get um, teleported to Earth two hours in the future. They get stuck in space as the Earth's spinning around. So it's yes. kind of like an accurate time travel. That, that's that's really cool. I was just reading a thing about time travel and about like uh, how it's a blind leap because the Earth is like spinning incredibly fast. So Two hours in the future, you are not going to be where you were. Yeah, so it's unless you ago. unless you did some amazing maths and or well, it wouldn't even work because the Earth's not going to orbit in the same spot, is it? So it's so yes, essentially in seventies, John Wagner had figured this out. Like uh, <laughs> time travel, you tight if you blast someone into the path into the future two hours, they're not going to be where the uh, Earth is. They're going to be floating in space. So not sure you could collect the bounty on those ones, but you know, I mean, but it's a good way of killing people in your way. Yeah. And it's definitely cool on the page, <laughs> but uh, like thematically, you're right. It's in that it's similar, but much darker than than the X Men. In that it's about themes of like persecution and yeah, and yeah, it's definitely more. There's more. There's more hate in yeah. in 2018 in general, but there's a lot of hate in Strontium Dog, and the whole mutants thing also reflects in Judge Dredd as well. There's the um. There's, you know, there's mutants and humans in the X-Men, but there's mutants and norms in this. So yeah. there's even more of a sense that mutants are like a second class people. They're not, they're not normal. They, they are, you know, they should be quelled. Yeah. I mean, uh, that, I think, I think that's the big reason why I always link Strontium Doug and, and Judge Dredd more than any of the other 2000 AD things is my head. It's just like, oh, this is what it's like outside of the mega cities. Yeah. And yeah. Where, which, where there are like, 
because mutants are so persecuted, they don't, they can't really survive in mega cities very well. Yeah, so they're forced very to well controlled. Earth. So they, yeah, yeah, and obviously in Strong Team Dog, they're forced to become bounty hunters, which means yeah. you get lots of mutants who are terrible bounty hunters, and they're mm. sort of and just quickly get killed. Yeah, yeah. And quickly get killed. So, yeah, and with two thousand two thousand AD, well, with the exception of Johnny Alpha himself, most of these characters they stay dead. They don't come back. Yeah, I mean that's one of the the cool things about like, uh, I mean the rest of especially Marvel and DC have a like a tendency to not kill off a character for more than a couple of years. Yeah, which which really like means that death doesn't carry a lot of weight. Like like to the point that even characters in the universes have like stopped caring about death. It's like, like oh they'll be back sooner or like, later. Like like when Nightcrawler's back uh, and he's he's talking about how weird it is to be back. And Beast just makes like an offhand remark about like who of us hasn't died once or twice. Yeah, and and it's like okay, cool that you're accepting that and that your universe is different, but still, yeah, maybe you should just think about yeah, and you got to why this joke has to exist. Yeah, you got to give props to 2000 AD for killing off at the point that point in time their second, their second most popular character. And although John Wagner at the time was like, I do regret doing this, and it did take him, you know almost another uh more than a decade for them to yeah. say well i want to bring him back and it almost felt it was kind of it was quite convoluted but at the same time johnny alpha was killed by like a demon which they, is yeah, kind of weird they, they had to they spent a lot more time explaining the breaking of the rules than yeah like yeah there was uh there was like months worth of issues of them just trying to bring him back in a yeah. way that was well, it was convoluted, but it was trying to make it feel natural and trying to explain it. So and, it was just, oh, it was the magic amulet. And, and also back. make it a rare enough thing that they're like, oh, this is why everybody else that dies doesn't come back. This is a really hard thing that, that only works because of this one set of circumstances. Yeah. And, uh, and it made Simon Pegg cry, apparently. <laughs> Which is worth knowing. And he played, and in the, they did a, a Strontium Dog um, audio book, and uh, Simon Pegg was Johnny Alpha in that. Yes. Which, if you're up for that, you can listen to that somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that was mentioned on the um, the Tharg AMA on Reddit. Yeah. We should talk about Tharg, actually. Like, yeah, we who should. Is Tharg? Well, Tharg is Tharg the Mighty. Yeah. Let's give him his proper title. I'm, I'm is sorry, the, uh Is the fictional editor. He might be real. Um, <laughs> he's the fictional editor of 2000 AD. He's a, a green-skinned alien with a with white hair and a weird like medallion thing on his forehead. And he's from the planet Beetlejuice. Yep. And uh, and essentially, he runs 2000 AD. He uh, has his um, has his art droids and his script droids who do all the writing. Uh, basically, because if he writes a story, it has far too much frill power and it will kill you. Yes. And. Uh, <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Essentially, he's the uh, the guy that runs 2000 AD. Um, he has a tendency to insult readers as well, uh, and also challenge them to death. Yeah, and especially seen in some of the earlier uh, earlier volumes of um, 2000 AD in the uh, Farg in the Farg letters column when he asked the um, I remember a um, it was a draw a, a drawing competition which mostly children entered for like a <laughs> like a uh, for a um, a vehicle of the future, and some kid designed like a George Jetson. George Jetson, a uh, car that comes out of your briefcase, and basically Tharg said, "This is a stupid idea, and someone's going to get killed." And <laughs> kid, I can only imagine how the kid felt about that. But <laughs> I don't know if that kid's reading 2000 AD. They should. Yeah, I'm, yeah, should I'm, I think, I think that was kind of the wrong, the, the wrong angle they got there. When it's yeah. like, "Hey, kids, uh, drawing competition, draw your, uh, draw a future car." Oh wait, 
we'll turn some pages and we'll see some uh, next level like discrimination against mutants and some people getting their heads blown off. Yeah. He also likes polystyrene cups. That's his favourite food. And uh, I think in the 2018-1982 annual, he met Thatcher. By I met <laughs> Thatcher, they took a photo of someone in uh, in a Thar costume outside Downing Street or something that looked like Downing Street. <laughs> yeah, so he's he's well connected guy. What is Harlem Heroes like? Well, Harlem Heroes is uh is one of the first books in 2018. Um, another design, another book designed by Dave Gibbons. Uh, essentially, it's based off Ruggler Ball. If you've ever heard of this film, it's a uh, film from the uh, 70s, and it's a sports film. It was remade more recently in a really, really, really bad film. But that film is essentially um, a brand about a brand new sport called Rollerball, where people basically skate around a track, and uh, and there's motorbikes on it, and they basically fight each other and try and score points. And essentially, Aeroball is like that. Sorry, Harlem Heroes is like that, but with a sport called Aeroball, yeah. and that's essentially um, football, kung fu, uh, roller skating and like uh, with jetpacks <laughs> and mixed with bas- basketballs in there as well and essentially it's like a violent sport of the future and um, and the Harlem Heroes are like the spoof of the uh, Harlem Globetrotters and they're like the up and coming best team in the new sport but there's a lot of uh, corruption within the sport and they're all pretty much killed off in except for four of them in the first issue there are team buses driven off like a uh, like a bridge Yes. And they all die, and what, uh, except for four of them, and one of their team members is, becomes a brain in a jar, <laughs> which is pretty awkward. Um, it seems hard to compete in sports when you're just a brain in the jar. Yeah, so he just he just sits in the corner and, and spouts dialogue occasionally. <laughs> uh, yeah, so essentially it's like a it's like a violent sports book, but it's them trying to um, it's kind of got like Roy the Rovers kind of vibe to it, so they always seem to win, and, it, yeah. and it basically but it's like a, it's like they're in their version of the FA Cup, and they're so it's like knockout rounds. And they fight against a variety of hilarious enemies, like uh, a bunch of people, like a bunch of Highlanders, Highlanders, all in kilts and have claymores and stuff. And then they fight <laughs> some, uh, they fight a team of um, androids that are made up to look like classic movie monsters. So it's quite, it's quite a fun book. So long as you're into like the, um, like the super, like uh, crazy idea of like um, sports in the future. And that has a follow up called uh, Inferno, uh, Harlem Heroes Inferno, which is where uh, they start a new sport. And uh, essentially, that has a even more depressing ending, where they all die except for one of them in the end. So you can buy that in one volume, and it is worth a read because it is pretty mad. From reading the some of the annuals, I really liked War Stories. That's just like set in Second World War. Yeah, well, that's that's part of what um, 2000 started with because um, Pat Mills and John Wagner both worked previously on I think it was a book called Battle and something else, something else in that vibe, which is where they how they got the job for making 2000 AD and yeah there's definitely a lot of um, like a war vibe to 2000 AD there was uh, another book called Invasion which yeah. 2000 AD did where um, the Soviet Union basically invades Britain and it's a resistance type uh, a resist- resistance type story that ran for several it didn't run for that long I think it ran for maybe a year or two but that was one of the backup pieces in 2000 AD when they were still trying to establish their uh, identity yeah yeah I mean and that's one of the advantages of being an anthology book is that you can you can try new stuff and just run it until it kind of runs its course. So just yeah, go, which is which this didn't work. We don't need to do that anymore. Yeah, which is perfect for some of the books which really did run their course. Like Rogue Trooper ran its course. Yeah, quite quickly, and it was. Uh, but then they um, 
then they introduced new ideas and didn't really work, but then they did a spin-off which worked well. Yeah. But with an anthology, you can swap these ideas out and... Yeah, and it's not the same investment of, like, when when DC uh, did the New 52, the number of books that, that they've had to, like, pull because they weren't selling well enough, yeah, that, been, that loses loads, money yeah. for them. Which, 2000 AD, people are going to keep buying because there's the regular stuff that they that they like and are going to come back to, and they know that they can expect a couple of things that they don't know what they're going to get. And this is especially true of Tharg's Future Shots, yeah. which is possibly... Which is really the um, possibly one of the best things I think they've ever done. As in, it's basically where they get all their new talent in. Yes. And basically tell you what a future shock is. A future shock is a four-page story that's self-contained. There's no, obviously there's no sequels to it. It's not a spin-off of any other books. But it has a twist ending. So it's a sci-fi story with a twist ending. And this is what Alan Morse was first wrote for on 2000 AD. And there are some brilliant stories in there. There are great. It's great for spoof stories, and it's um. So there was recently in the um 2000 AD uh, free comic book day issue, there was a spoof of Galactus in there, where uh Galactus basically goes around munching planets, but then he gets eaten by a planet <laughs> that has a, a sentient planet with a giant mouth. So it's that kind of idea there, and um. Yeah, and so basically for new talent, but there's also um, the third 2000 AD film called uh, Hardware. Was based off yeah. Future Shock. We're based off a four four page ish uh, volume of um, Future Shocks. Um, essentially, this film hardware is about a robot that's like a robot head that's found in a, in in the desert, and it's brought back to a guy's apartment. And essentially, it's like a, an android parasite thing, and it sort of builds itself up, uh, builds itself up, and goes on a basically a killing spree. But uh, it's got great. Uh, practical effects, but that's about it. It's pretty, ter- <laughs> pretty terrible other than Th- that. There's a reason you haven't heard of it. Yeah, and I hadn't heard of it either until I did some research, and there's only so good a film could be if it's based off a four-page four page novelty in a, in the back of a 2000 AD. I think usually, like, because for as much as people like to complain about remakes and, and, like, stuff being made of, like, kids' cartoons and whatever, like, films have always been based on other things, much yeah. more than almost any other industry. Uh, but I think like comics and novellas work really well because novels are too long. But but comics and novellas like comics work as almost storyboards for films. I mean, yeah, especially with Frank Miller. That's yeah, basically what he did with Sin City. Like Sin City, uh, which is why Rodriguez credits Frank Miller as a as a co director is because yeah, it's so close to what Sin City looks like in the panels. Um. And and novellas are the same way. Of it's a, it's a much shorter, more condensed story that you can yeah. actually do in a three act structure. And and it works but, quite well for if you're going to do a single, like single, just a fun action film or a fun yeah. science fiction film because the, the stories themselves are self contained. But you just have to expand on the certain ideas. And, but the, and four pages seems like it's like I think it's four or five. It used, yeah. You know they're diff- yeah it's um that's that seems like a lot to stretch into an hour and a half. Yeah. Well, there's um that you can. In fact, anyone listening can, in fact, submit a future shock because if you go on two thousand AD website, they have um, they have guidelines on how to submit them. Yeah. And basically, they use this to get new talent. So, if you have got a good idea, good four page story um, with a great twist in the end, just send it off because there's a good chance they might actually put you in the comic book. And that's yeah. Are there any other? Um, you mentioned Alan Moore. Are there any other names you can think of that kind of started off? From future shots. Well, Neil Gaiman, for one, he did several great ones, and Grant Morrison. Yeah, two at the top of my head. Yeah, they've um, 
Yeah, the, the, their future socks are great. Um, there's definitely one, I think it was Grant Morrison did it, where, um, a, where a scientist invents, um, suspended animation. Yeah. But, um, but his rival steals it as the guy goes into suspended animation. So he wakes up 20 years in the future where suspended animation is a usual thing and he's trying to sell it off as a brand new product and no one trusts him. So he ends up getting, <laughs> so basically he ends up going a bit mad and getting buried, but basically trying to prove them wrong rather that, than, you that know, sounds like a Grant Morrison. Yeah. Idea. And, uh, yeah, and that's, that's a lot of fun. And yeah, so yeah, Grant Morrison, and Neil Gaiman, you can get all their, um, future shocks in one in a best of future shock, um, book, I think, which is, yeah, which is that's cool. I didn't know they'd done that. That's awesome. Yeah, because um, yeah, because Future Shock started, I think it was around issue forty-eight, and so th- they've been going pretty much forever. Yeah, as well as like Judge Dread. Oh, is it? It's weekly, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a weekly comic as well. It's been weekly for thirty-seven years now. Yeah. So every Wednesday used to be every Monday, uh, but every Wednesday <laughs> now to mixing with the other, you're mixing with the other stuff. Yeah, weekly. Which so but, that's pretty. This is pretty high. High um, demand on the writers to put stuff out. Yeah, and I mean, I guess that that helps that you're an anthology that you can kind of switch in other stuff. But yeah, and you can have stores of other stuff that you can just throw in, yeah. which is good, especially with future shocks. That's a great thing they can just add extra. But certainly to. for like, like it must be hard for the Judge Dread writers to yeah to come up with new stories, which is often when you get um, yes, obviously in a 2008 Judge Dread story will only be about eight pages. Yeah, which is um. Which is, which is pretty good to be honest. Uh, you get it forces the writers to actually write a lot, you know, sharper stories. So you rarely get a Judge Dredd story that's boring, <laughs> which is what I really like about. Which is why I really like 2008 in general because they don't have a lot of time to tell, time to tell a story. So it is really sharp and to the point. Um, but so what I was going to ask you is what like how did you get into 2008? Well, 2008 mean was means a lot to me and my dad really. Yeah. It was definitely what he. He collected it as a uh, as a child, so he had uh, issues one to two hundred, which he had yeah. collected. Um, yeah, and two thousand AD was one of the first comic books I ever got. Um, my first graphic novel, as I mentioned in our last podcast, was um, I got Judge Red the Cursed Earth. That was the first yes. graphic novel I got, and um, from then I basically started um, getting the case files, the Judge Red case files, which basically they're um, each volume is a year's worth of Judge Red. And yeah, they're pretty. They're pretty thick. Yeah, they're pretty books. thick. Yeah, they're, they are. They're, they are 50, 50, 50 to fifty, fifty to sixty um, issues in there. Yeah, they're. I mean, they're bigger than like Marvel do, like the essential. Yeah, and they they, they, they don't even do. They're not even twelve issues worth, are they? They're like eight or so, aren't they? Essentials. Um, I don't know the essential. Like I've got the essential Silver Surfer on my bookcase, and I think the first one of those is the original eighteen issue run of that plus a Fantastic Four thing. But uh, the the case files are, are thicker than those, if you... Yeah, they're thicker than that, and... Yeah, and yeah, and they're all printed in black and white, and... Yeah, and, and they've done... I think they've done about 23 Judge Red case files. They do have, um, like, the Deluxe case files with colour ones as well, don't they? Well, they... Um, well, because the original ones, the original, I think up until about 14, maybe, didn't yeah. have colour. So... So, yeah, I think it's from about 13... I think 13 is the first one with colour. So those ones start being printed on different paper. Yeah. And they're a bit thinner. But they're also bigger. Uh, they also have... They're also in colour. So the p- uh, page is uh, a bit higher quality. Yeah. But prior to that, they're all in black and white. And so that's why they're, they're much bigger. And so I really recommend buying those. Yes. And yeah. that's, that's works for Strontium Dog as well. 
um, Rogue Trooper. There's only four volumes of Rogue Trooper. Um, uh, I mean, Anderson as well as Judge Dredd. Yeah, Judge Anderson. There's um, other books like Flesh, which Flesh and Harlem Heroes only come in one one volume, so they're all yeah. packed into one thing. So if you want to, yeah, so like 15 quid, you get an entire entire store, entire series, which is pretty good. Yeah, it's, just, it's really cool to just like be able to sit and read the entire run of something. Yeah, in one in one place. <laughs> um, like, like my entry into 2008 is is similar. My I have the 1983 and 1984 2008 annuals that were my uncles who died before I was born, and reading those that got me into reading it for a while, and I haven't like been reading the issues uh, for a while, and I've been meaning to get back into them. Yeah, well. Yeah, the issues. Yeah, the issues a bit weird because um, obviously it's weekly. Yeah, but um, but I think they they are starting to do um, they are starting to do it, it all on digital now. They haven't they haven't really been doing it digitally for a while, but I think they're starting to. I think it's being put on Comicsology now. So you make making me have more things that make me want to have an iPad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. But weekly, yeah, weekly is the strange thing about it. I think. Yeah, I mean, but I've cut down on single issues enough that if I just read 2000 AD every week and bought everything else in trades, I would be happy with that. Yeah. And they obviously they still do their, they do summer specials as well, yeah. which is which was good. The most recent one, their summer special was great. Um, yeah, which which is the first time they brought that back in about ten years, because obviously. Yeah, and they've done like some. There's a the big crossover stuff I can think of is all Dread stuff. Yeah, Dread Batman. They did and and they did they done Dread um, Alien vs Predator. Yeah, <laughs> which really needs to be a thing. Like one, really one of the did. one of the like. Two issues of 2080 I still have, which are in this room somewhere, is uh, has uh, Dread fighting an alien on the cover of it. Yeah, happens a lot. <laughs> For the gritty crime drama, there's a lot of aliens in it. But the, the I'm trying to remember what the Dread Batman thing was actually called. Cause it was, it was really called good, um, really Judgment and Gotham. Was yes, one of them. Yeah. Judgment and Gotham, and oh, that was oh, there's one with a Riddler in it. I can't remember what it's called. Um, Judgment and Gotham. That was, yeah, Judgment and Gotham's all I got at the moment. Um, yeah, I haven't read the other one yet. Um, but so yeah, if you like dark sci-fi with with a good sense of humour, 2080 is is a really good thing to check out. Yeah, and you know if you're into extreme violence as well, that's, <laughs> it's who doesn't like extreme violence? Yeah, and implied extreme violence as well. Uh, yeah, and yeah, really, it's great book, great book, very very dark, very funny as you said, and like different to. Like definitely different to the Marvel and DC like big two stuff, but also pretty different to what's going on in most uh, smaller stuff as well. It's like, well, yeah, I think it separates itself most by the fact that because of its British identity, yeah. it's that's what makes it what it is. Because it's you know it is that dark, that black humor that you know exists in Britain that doesn't that you know you might not get if you read it in America or you were yeah if you were you weren't from Britain, yeah. Which I mean, I guess, kind of works against it as well in that the audience doesn't grow. Yeah, the audience doesn't really size. grow outside of. Um, yeah, doesn't really grow outside of, of British Isles. Although IDW's Judge Dread there and their Rogue Trooper, they're getting more into it because of yeah. that. But I think because of that, there's a lot of the humour's been lost. It's more of. I think it's it turns more, into more of an action book. Yeah. Which is fine. I mean, it's, it's not like they're not action books anyway. Yeah. But um, so just to to wrap up, I think we should talk about what's. What what have you got planned for the society for the next like month or so? Well, I know next, you've got quite a few um, plans. Well, next 
week is the uh, well next uh, sorry um, October the sixth is the give it a go yeah and that's going to be in Fab Fab Cafe um, and have some drinks we'll bring some comic books down so you can have a look we'll bring some 2000 AD we'll bring we'll bring some uh, some of the big two some other independent stuff yeah for people listening that are new to Leeds. Uh, if you know where the big Morrison's is in town, Fab Cafe is just next door to that. So yeah, it's really and if you don't know where that is, um, I'm going to do a walk down, a walk down to Fab from the Parkinson steps at seven. If you meet there at seven fifteen, cool. We'll go down from then. We can all hold hands. <laughs> yeah, and what else we got planned? We got um, hopefully we're, I'm going to talk to the traveling man, and we're going to get a um, a spot inside the traveling man lounge, and we'll watch some films. We'll watch a cool. film or some animated episodes or something. Not completely sure yet. I've got some animated films, some Batman and Superman. Um, yeah, or we could watch some actual superhero films. Maybe something yeah. good, maybe something bad. Uh, find the, the Roger Coleman Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, that's that's definitely on, on the list of one of them. <laughs> uh, maybe uh, Ghost Rider 2. I've heard that's completely batshit insane. Oh, uh, who doesn't love some Nicolas Cage? Yeah. Well, story won't. You'll have a go. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, and after that, and the week after that, hopefully we'll be going bowling, and starting our our bowling. Yeah, league. and bowling bowling league, which is going to be good. We've also got um upcoming, upcoming this week, because uh, we go into October this week, don't we? Um, we have pints yeah. and pencils on Thursday night. Yeah, pints and pencils is the first Thursday of every month, which is uh, like thing run by Traveling Man in Fab Cafe. Where... Yeah, and it's great fun. Essentially, we're given a topic and we uh, draw. We basically just draw, and whoever while, does while getting drunk, yeah, while getting drunk, and uh, yeah, and some things. There's some beautiful drawings. There are some not so beautiful ones, and there are some the downright Chris Yeoman looking ones, which oh. are just horrendous. <laughs> uh, but uh, we we also like can win prizes for those drawings. I've like there's normally like gift cards to spend at Traveling Man and and free drinks in Fab. Yeah, and and Will sometimes also brings down other weird stuff as like booby prizes I won a yeah. bunch of Star Trek novels one time basically unsellable stuff that's <laughs> been sitting in the shop for well, like I don't even think five. the Star Trek novels were stuff that like that's not something Travelling Man would sell I think it's just stuff he wanted out of his house yeah <laughs> like that yeah that Twilight manga didn't he that oh, was yeah. Um, yeah. that had all the uh, speech bubbles in the wrong places so no one could read it <laughs> yeah they, I think they'd, 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 they'd done something like they'd um, they'd changed the order of the pages around so it could be written so it could be read like a regular book, but the uh, they hadn't flipped the images or something. So yeah, all the word bubbles round upside down and stuff. It's weird. Yeah, and and presumably we're just going to be having regular assembles in between these things as yeah, well. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we have a we have an assemble on Tuesday, which is a beer color. Which um, hopefully this episode should be up uh, before that happens. It should go up uh, Monday evening or Tuesday morning. Yeah. But if you're not a, but if you're a fresher and you don't feel like coming to that, obviously, give it a go. Is yeah, that's the is the Monday place. after on October the sixth, and um, yeah, and pints and pencils is this uh, Thursday this week, which would be it's the second of the month. Yes, but if you if you, if you missed that one though, next month uh, in November there'll probably be a um, probably be two in November, won't they? They because they, uh, they did a um a thought bubble one which has actual artists come down. Oh yeah, if you. Want to be intimidated by people that can actually draw? Yeah, which is always fun. But <laughs> having said that, like so some of the regulars at Pints and Pencils are like a pretty good artists, and and like Fiona's there a lot, and she's a professional illustrator anyway. Yeah, and there are you know 
other people that are Pl- like, plenty of people were absolutely terrible at drawing, and that's that makes up can, the majority of us. And yeah, you like obviously it helps to be able to draw, but you can still win stuff if you've got a really good idea that you yeah. still manage to communicate. Yeah, yeah, I think the idea is the key. Yeah, Cause you have a, yeah, because no no one ever wins off a bad idea. So yeah, you know, yeah, you can't really win by. Uh, it's not really the skill of the art as opposed to the idea. I mean, it helps if you have a great idea that you've drawn really well, but yeah, but yeah, the idea it's the idea is the the main part. Um, th- think that's everything we needed. I think to, that is everything. Yeah. We to so cover. next next time we'll be covering uh Just Dread. Yeah, and um, that'll be a long. We'll be joined by Marco, won't we? Hopefully, we, we should be joined yeah. by our friend from Italy, Marco Brunello, who is a massive Just Dread fan, fan like the boat pair of us are. Yeah. So. Thanks for listening. You heard it. You can't unhear it. (laughs) 